I thank these people for singing and playing for us. It's a real blessing to hear it live. And uh, this morning you've got me preaching. I thank Pastor for this opportunity and I hope that I'll be a blessing to you. When I was young in church, which was this church, I used to hear the terminology living by faith. I actually had absolutely no idea what that meant. Um, and uh, I think I was with my brothers once and we were talking to someone in church and uh, he told my brothers that he didn't have a job and he, uh, he said a few things about why he didn't have the job and as we walked away, I think, I don't know if it was Dave or Andrew, but one of them just goes, oh, he's just a bludger, he doesn't want to work. <laughs> that's why he says he's living by faith. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what living by faith is. Living by faith was actually a negative thing. That was, that's what Christians would just throw around if they were a bit lazy and couldn't be bothered getting a job. So they'd live by faith. Uh, but now, obviously, uh, I've changed my, <laughs> what I think about living by faith, and it's actually a very godly thing to do, and it's the mark of a very good Christian if someone's living by faith. Um, and if someone's living by faith, they are smack bang in the middle of God's will. The Bible says in Romans chapter 117, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And then Romans 14.23b says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And now if you think about our, our missionaries, our great missionaries who, you know, they literally live in faith. They wait for the churches, the money from their supporting churches to come into them uh, while they labour in the field. And this is the literal definition of living by faith. Um, that we can all relate to because we all know our missionaries. And you know what? We all though should be living by faith, but what does this mean? If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that term, living by faith, because it's in the Bible. And if you're new to the Christian faith, perhaps you've heard the term, but you're not really sure what it means. Uh, maybe you've heard the term, uh, we need to live by faith and not by sight. What exactly does all this mean? I know I was confused when I was younger. When things have started to unravel in your life or in my life for, for any reason, whether it's financial, uh, health related, it could be family issues, it could be work issues, have you ever found yourself starting to panic and get that real anxious feeling about yourself? Perhaps inside your stomach it all turned and knotted up and you felt sick at the realisation of what was happening, it was all dawning on you. And maybe something was so, so, maybe it was so big what was happening to you uh, that you knew it would, just, it would take a miracle to get out of the situation you're in. You know, and these could be everyday situations. Perhaps you went to work and you got given two weeks' notice that morning and immediately you knew there was no way you're going to pay the bill. You'll, you'll be able to pay the bills without that job. Or perhaps you're at a doctor's appointment for yourself or for a loved one and the doctor confirms the worst. Um, or even for people who are um, perhaps studying at the moment, you know, you have that final test or that exam, um, the assignment, that has to be a pass and it comes back as a fail. And um, now you're going to have to restart. Things like this happen all the time. So how does living by faith work in situations like this? As we look around us today, it's very easy to see all the things that are causing us anguish, um, Grief, despair, panic. You look around the world right now and it seems pretty bleak. I mean, 2020 as a year hasn't, hasn't got a good track record from bushfires to coronavirus to all the unrest that's happening right now. And this all causes division, it causes anxiety and it causes dismay. What is it then 
in the great historical characters in the Bible, people like Joseph and Hannah, Daniel and Paul, what enabled them to be able to trust in God after being sold into slavery by your own family? Or perhaps being unable to bear children when it was so important for a woman to be able to bear children in those days? Um, Or how could someone just pray to God knowing that if they did, they were going to get torn up by lions? Or how was someone able to sing to God after being wrongfully imprisoned, then beaten? What did they seemingly know that we can't grasp today? What is it? In our Bible reading, we read about Elisha, who who is a very famous prophet of God in the Old Testament. He lived through many, many events that would cause fear, anxiety, dismay. He saw kings come and go through violent overthrows, brutal battles, and just natural succession. He saw the consequences of sin on the nation. He saw the consequences of of a nation living in disobedience to God and his commands. So he had every reason to fear when a foreign king sent an army against him personally because he was such an effective tool for Israel. And we just read that in um, the Bible reading. So we're going to look through 2 Kings chapter 6, 8 to 23, and um, hopefully we can glean some stuff from this passage about living by faith. And there's a few side notes as well. And like usual when I'm preparing a message, God has blessed me greatly. Uh, I've learnt, learnt many things. I've seen some things that I've never seen before. And I've read this passage a thousand times growing up in Sunday school and Hawana and church. And uh, hopefully... Um, There'll be some things here that, um, some points here that I can start talking about living by faith. But let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your word today, that you would just help me to be able to communicate effectively the things that I've learnt through studying this passage. Please, Lord, I pray that you'd help us prepare the soil of our hearts to be fertile and receptive of the things that you have for us. And I pray that uh, it will take hold and produce fruit that will glorify you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that it contains. Thank you that you've given us so much more than we deserve. And I pray that we will always remember to give you the glory when you work through us and in us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so the first point, uh, and it's taken from the first part of that Bible reading, is God helps his people, which is us, his, his children, even when we don't deserve it. So at this time in the Jewish history, the kingdom was split into the north, the kingdom of Israel, and in the south, the kingdom of Judah. And Elisha, he ministered predominantly in the northern part of the kingdom in Israel. Uh, The king and the people were worshipping idols at this time, and they were living like all the nations that God had removed for them in the promised land. They did not deserve the Lord to work on their behalf because of their lifestyle, but because of his grace, he chose to. In verses 8 to 12, we see that at this time, the Syrians were constantly crossing the border into Israel and they were doing, I guess you'd call them smash and grab raids. And this is how I imagine that the little maid of Naaman's wife would have been captured, the one that told um, her about Elisha, who recovered um, Naaman from his leprosy. But I imagine she would have been captured in one of these smash and grab raids, taken back as a slave in, in Syria. And Israel was in such a pitiful state at the moment, the army simply could not protect the people. The Syrians could come in, make incursions at will. But Elisha, the man of God, he was helping as he could. He would send advice to the king of Israel and he would just say, make sure you don't go to this place because the Syrians have made a camp there. 
make sure you don't go there because the Syrians are waiting there in secret. Um, and the king of Israel, he would go check on what Elisha said and sure enough, the Syrians would be there. And uh, so he'd be able to keep clear of that danger. And um, this happened time and time again, not just once or twice, this happened constantly. So because of this happening so much, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. And so he calls all his servants in and he's just like, make it clear to me which one of you is a traitor because there is no way that the king of Israel can know what I'm doing unless one of you is, is giving him info. But they said, one of them said, it's not us, um, O king, but it's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He gives the king of Israel the news that you say in your bedroom. So, you know, Elisha's fame had spread all the way into Syria. And the king of Israel, uh, yeah, so the king of Israel at this time, who was a wicked king, but he was more sensible than Ahab, who was an earlier king. He respected Elisha, unlike how Ahab hated Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet that was just before Elisha, and Elijah, Elisha was Elijah's apprentice. So they were different styles, the two prophets. Now, Elisha did not support the corruption in Israel, nor the sin that the people were involved in, but he knew that it was worse for Israel to be conquered by Syria, so that's why he chose to help them. And God was merciful to Israel because he let Elisha help them. And so Elisha would give the king of Israel information uh, that was divinely inspired. The king at this time, his name was Jehoram, and he's also known as Joram. And he now sits on the throne of Ahab. And, and like I just said, the prophet of God was no longer this dreaded antagonist like Elijah was, but he was now the king's trusted counsellor. Elijah was a fugitive, constantly on the run from, a, from an angry king, but Elisha is welcomed by this king. Jehoram had learned to obey the prophet and his people and their enemies had learned that Elisha was a true prophet. This was obvious. Elisha could give directions to practical life matters and that had impact on the well-being of the country. Today, it's a really good thing when God's preachers are not afraid to make their voices heard and to help the country that they live in with God's word. This prophet was more to Israel than its army at that time. And that's just like godly Christians today are more to their country than their military. James chapter 5, 1 says, the, James chapter 5, 16, sorry, says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And as I was just saying, there's friendly relations right now between the king and the prophet in Israel at this time. The whole tone of things has changed from those stormy days when Elijah uh, was fighting with Ahab. Elisha is, is a frequent inhabitant of the capital. He's a trusted counsellor and the king counts on him, even though they don't see eye to eye regarding the things of God. The Bible still says that Jehoram was an evil king. But no doubt the, the improvement of this relationship, I believe, was owing a lot to Elijah's early, earlier ministry. He didn't beat around the bush with Ahab. His, true, his truthful steadfastness, his straightforwardness, worked together with Elisha's gentler persuasion that he used. These two methods work together to help Israel overall. Today, we can be often tempted to point out failures in a stern preacher because we see the gentler ways of other preachers seems to accomplish more. But unless the bushfire comes first, the seeds of many plants will fail to germinate. We need to honour preachers and missionaries who fight at the start of the battle and they don't see the victory in their time. Just because Elijah was tough and had a fiery relationship with the kings previously and Elisha was less abrasive 
and he had a better relationship, it doesn't mean that one was right and one was wrong. It means God used men at their time with their strengths and perhaps Elisha could never have the relationship he had if Elijah hadn't been the way he was. Elijah planted and Elisha watered. If you're in church and you have a pastor, you're already blessed. Let alone if you have a pastor who preaches the word accurately, prays for you and guides you, then you are really blessed of God. And you should do everything you can to support, uplift them, instead of fault finding, trying to fix them and just point the areas that they struggle in. Do you seriously think that they aren't acutely aware of their own failings? If you think that, then you've probably never led to any capacity or you don't understand what the effects of leading people can have on the leader, the toll it takes on their, on their physical, spiritual and mental health. You need to be very careful when you decide to judge another person, especially a pastor. Trust that God can show them in time where they're going wrong and when they're going wrong and when they need to be corrected. And make sure you do it in a way that is in love and how the Bible outlines such actions should be taken. Their position should be and must be respected. The Bible commands it. First Thessalonians 5.12 says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. So recapping that first point, um, God will still help us, his people, even when we don't deserve it. The second point, if you are living by sight, you will see man's problems and you will try and fix it with man's solutions. So we see from verses 13 to 15, the king of Syria has had absolutely enough of his plans being foiled and he wants to know where Elisha is so he can take care of this problem once and for all. And he knew, he knew that Elisha was a decent threat, so he sent horses, chariots and a great host to make sure he would get his man. And um, if he wouldn't get his man, he was going to make sure that city was going to get taken out. So basically he sends a sledgehammer to knock a nail in. This great host sent to uh, capture Elisha just shows how much terror he had inspired in this king and the importance attached to capturing him. It's funny because it never occurs to this Syrian king that Elisha, who already knew all his schemes, wouldn't he already know that this army would have been sent against him? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because um, Elisha had heaven to back him. And, and this king is too preoccupied with getting rid of this prophet, uh, which is the reason why he's not getting a complete victory over Israel. The king has no idea that he's blind to the real reasons his plans are leaking. God is working against him and working for his people. The town where Elisha was, Dothan, it lay on an isolated hill in a wide plain and it could easily be surrounded. It was only about 15 to 20 k's from the capital, Samaria, but because the army of Israel was so weak, the Syrian army could cross the border and get there overnight. <clears throat> when Elisha's servants saw the horses and the chariots and the great army surrounding the city, he was naturally afraid. He knew that there was little chance of escaping or surviving an attack from so many. It's funny because in my mind's eye, I see the servant, you know, he goes out in the morning after waking up. He's probably still half asleep and he'll yawn and he, he stretches, rubs his eyes and what looks out at the hills. He's like, well, rubs them again and <laughs> takes another look. And they're completely surrounded by his foreign army, which wasn't there yesterday. <clears throat> and... Um, I guess he probably turns back around, runs inside and tells Elisha, I need another coffee because I'm seeing some pretty bizarre visions. 
but the, the prophet fully knows what's going on. He's aware and he just calmly lets him know that what you saw is actually out there. There's an army out there. And that servant's reaction in verse 15, it was a natural reaction because instantly he sees his foreign army surrounding the city and it was only reasonable to act that way. Just like people today who only see the visible dangers and the, and the enemies that beset us. Any person who reflects on the possibilities and uncertainties on this life will find many reasons for a sinking, sorrowful heart. So much that is sad and overwhelming can come and will come, just like we're seeing this year. And just because this servant, he saw, he saw no chance of victory, he saw no army coming to save them, there was no host coming on the horizon to drive back this invader, he feared. He probably knew that the city had no defences, um, they didn't have any army personnel to fight this host, so he, he therefore knew there was no chance. There was no solutions at all for this servant, not even a weak human solution. And today, we look so much, we look, so, we look at our weak human solutions to all our problems. We try and fix man's enormous issues with more money, more education, more research, more medication, more counselling, more collaboration, more changes in government, and the list goes on and on. Yet we still blindly push on to the detriment of us all, even though all these things have never worked. And we seek every answer except what God has to offer. In our society, we demand that the government fix everything. We demand man's spiritual problems be fixed with man's physical solutions. Everyone has their opinion and their solutions, but the real root cause is not dealt with. It's like suffering a huge gaping wound on your leg and you just keep, you just keep on uh, mopping up the blood with a tissue and you never get the wound cleaned, uh, treated or stitched up. Man's solutions are not enough for man's problems. We need the great physician to heal our wounds. And you will have no hope, no joy, no peace, no lasting assurance that things will be okay while you trust in man to fix everything. We need to do all we can, don't get me wrong. We should be trying our hardest to do what we can. But we must realise that after we do all that we can, God then must act for us. And the Bible is very clear on this, that things are in his control, not the government, not the academics, not the charities. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And these verses tell us that God completely outsizes any issues that man has. And when we come to this, that, when we realise this and let it sink in, and that's the key that will start to bring the peace of God into your life and will allow your faith to grow. God is truly faithful. His promises are sure. If God has promised it, the answer is yes, he can. And you can amen that because it will come to pass. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. So recapping that point, point two, if you are living by sight, you will only look to man's solutions for your problems. Third point, if you're living by faith, you will still see man's problems, but you will trust in God's solutions. Look at verse 16 of um, 2 Kings 6. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. 
And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and about Elisha. So when the servant of Elisha arose early, he went out and he, there was the army that he saw surrounding the city. He just exclaimed, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He lost hope instantly. The servant was pleading with Elisha for an answer to their immediate distress. And so Elisha did give him an answer. He said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Notice that Elisha gave his servant a reason uh, to not fear. And this wasn't an empty hope or wishful thinking. It was a real reason for confidence, even if the servant could not see it. That's living by faith. This seemed unbelievable to Elisha's servant. He saw the physical horses, chariots and the great army surrounding them. He could not see anyone who was with himself and Elisha. So Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And that's what I've titled this message today, Seeing the Fiery Horses and Chariots. Seeing the Fiery Horses and Chariots. Elisha did not pray that God would change anything in the situation. His only request, his only request was that the servant could see the reality of the situation. The servant could not have this explained to him and he couldn't be persuaded. He had to see it. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw it. God answered Elisha's prayer and just like today, he will answer the fervent prayers of a righteous man. When a, pl- when a person is blind to spiritual reality, only God can open their eyes. God may do it through the words that someone speaks. He may do it through the actions of one person to another. But the work of spiritually opening eyes is a spiritual work and belongs to God alone. So that work of spiritually opening eyes is spiritual work and belongs to God alone. When his eyes were opened, the servant saw the reality that he could not see before. He saw that there really was more with them uh, than there was assembled against them. He was seeing things through the eyes of faith. He was seeing the fiery horses and chariots. Something I need you to really understand is that the lack of spiritual perception or sight on the part of Elisha's servant did not make the reality of the fiery spiritual army any less real. If there are a hundred people who don't see something, it doesn't mean the perception of the one who does see it is any less validated. Just because the world rejects the word of God as an authority on all matters doesn't make it any less true and something that can be relied upon and built upon. This is where your faith in God kicks in. Do you trust him and his word? Faith is not the imagining of things that are not real. Faith is having a surety of things which can't be revealed to our human sight, but which most certainly are real. The chariots of horses and fire were actually there, even if only one faithful man could see it. In Hebrews 11 it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Living in faith, you will see problems and God's solutions, and the chariots of fire only God can provide. When you live by sight and you hire man's help, you just get normal chariots. 
And this was a common place in Bible times where a king would hire a foreign army to help them. Often this did not work. And sometimes the actual the hired help would actually turn on the person who hired them. Horses and chariots were the most sophisticated and mighty military instruments of the day. But the invisible army of God had literally more firepower than the horses of chariots of Syria. The spiritual army had chariots of fire all the way around Elisha. And this panic reaction of the servant and the calm composure of Elisha is a very good lesson for us. When someone has no faith or not much faith at all, even small disruptions can really shake them to their core. But firm, steady faith with our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. Remember Peter walking on the water. All was good while his eyes were on Jesus. All was good when his eyes were on Jesus. While we are looking at Jesus, he is the one who can make our mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. We are able to move forward because we move in his strength. And he promises angels and the ministry that they provide us also. But the presence of Jesus is the greatest thing we can desire. So recapping that third point, when you live by faith, the problems are still there and they're still visible, but you see and you trust God's solutions. And the fourth point, God's solutions are always so much better than ours. In verses um, from 19 to 23, it's an amazing, amazing turn of events here. You see how at the prayer of Elisha, the servant's eyes were opened. And then at another prayer of Elisha, the enemy's eyes were blinded. Some, some people have their eyes open to the wondrous things in the Bible. Other people just remain in complete blindness and ignorance, even under the most powerful preaching. What a sad state to be in. This happened when Jesus healed the blind man. If you turn to John chapter 9, um, and when the Pharisees questioned this man, they didn't like the way that he responded to them, so they cast him out of the synagogue. So the Pharisees cast the blind man, the formerly blind man, out of the synagogue. But Jesus was not going to leave that formerly blind man in that state, so he found him. And we look, John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou, dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Our eyes are blinded and we need to have them opened. Worldliness, sin, unbelief and other things blind the eyes of our mind and we need to close off these things of the world so that our spiritual eyes of faith can be opened. The best possible sight is the sight of faith. It is certain, it is direct, it is conclusive and most importantly it was how Jesus lived this life. The world says seeing is believing. The gospel says believing is seeing. If we would live like Jesus and pray for him to touch our spiritual blindness and also turn away from the wilderness in the way that we live, 
we will be able to experience an amazing eye-opening just like the servant of Elisha received. The entrance of his word is the key to receiving this supernatural sight. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's in the Psalms. This event is truly amazing and the way that Elisha displayed faith and lived out his faith is a really good example for us all. After he prayed for his servant to see, he then prayed that the Syrians couldn't see and God answers the prayer, the prayer of this righteous man. And because Elisha's faith was so strong, when the, when the Syrians and him met up, he, was so, he, he just had the full confidence that they were blinded and that he was protected by these fiery horses and chariots. And he, then he just proceeded to talk with them and he told them that he would now lead them to the person they were seeking. This is an amazing turn of events. Elisha then, then proceeds to lead them 15 to 20 k's to the capital Samaria where the delighted king of Israel immediately wants to kill the lot of them. <laughs> Elisha refuses this request and commands the king to actually feed his enemies and send them home. And this king has enough respect for Elisha to obey him. And then this king once again reaps the blessings of listening to the prophet of God. The Syrians during the reign of this king never come back in bands and attack the people again. And this is the best possible result. Israel is spared for a season and the Syrians are allowed to return home to their families without the anger and the resentment that would follow if Israel had killed all those defenseless soldiers. Elisha acting in peace and calmness then brings about peace and calmness to the people of Israel. If the king got his way and killed the Syrians, no doubt warfare would have followed, not the supernatural peace of God. Just remember this point, God's solutions are always so much better than ours. And the last point in conclusion, your testimony of living by faith will be a mark that you will be remembered for. When a person has lived a life of faith, their mark on this world is there for all to see. We still talk about all the biblical heroes of the faith, just like the book of Hebrews does. And in more recent times, from the Old Testament, we have many people since then who we still talk about, great people of the faith, you think of people like George Mueller and Hudson Taylor, Fanny Crosby, other well-known missionaries and, and Christians whose lives changed many others all for the glory of God. Elisha, he was also very well-known after the death for his life of faith. His obedience to God and his subsequent impact on the country um, and the people he loved and lived to serve. It was actually three kings later after King Jehoash Elisha lay on his deathbed and the current king of Israel came to visit him. And even at this point in Elisha's life, this king knew the value of the prophet of God. And this is three kings after what happened with those fiery horses and chariot. Second Kings 13, 14 says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he would die. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. I really, really love these words that this king uses to describe Elisha. Now this king, once again, King Joash, he was not a godly king again. And just like Jehoram before him, he was sensible and he utilised the prophet of God for the sake of the kingdom. This king weeps and acknowledges that Elisha was the strength of Israel. He weeps and calls him his father. And to describe this strength, 
He uses chariots and horsemen, which were the most powerful army weapons that there were in those days. This old prophet was the strength of Israel, not because of his physical strength, but because of his spiritual strength and the life he lived in faith, which helped Israel mightily time and time again. Elisha was the strength of Israel because of his spiritual strength. No doubt, I have no doubt this king was familiar with the events years earlier where God delivered Elisha uh, with the fiery horses and chariots. And I think this king knew that he was about to lose the link to this power that came with having such a godly prophet like Elisha. Elisha was the link to access the power of God because of his godly life and his relationship with God. And that's why he gives this description of, of Elisha. Wouldn't it be a great thing for the testimony of God's people today if they had this effect on people now? This choice is up to you. Your own sight, it can be aligned with one of the three groups that we have seen today. You can be like Elisha's servant, where he was one of God's people, but he needed his eyes opened to see the fiery chariots and live his life in faith. Worse than that, you could be like the Syrians. They were not God's people and they were fully blinded to the things of God. And they were even blinded that the things of man was not helping and they stumbled around needing a leader. This is the worst case scenario for someone because you're not even saved. You're not even a child of God. You need to get saved before you can even think about seeing this world through the eyes of faith. And thirdly, you could be like Elisha. You could see the things in the world that can rock our faith. You can see the possibilities of what they could do to your life. But you could also see the fiery horsemen and chariots that you see through faith. You could see the awesome power of God and that enables you to live a life of faith. And you can be remembered like the heroes of the faith are today. What do you want for your life? The choice is yours. I pray that you desire to see the fiery horses and chariots in your life. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, your words in, your, in, your words in the Bible, they have just a blessed way of teaching us, teaching our hearts in how we should live. And you've given us great examples of people of faith for us to follow. Please, Lord, make us tender-hearted to see our shortcomings and also our need to live by faith. Please expose the faithlessness in our hearts, uh, in our lives, as you did for Elisha's servant. Please show us when we're looking for our man's help, man's chariots to help us, Lord, instead of your fiery chariots. I pray, Father, that you would give us grace to be able to obey you and to live our lives in faith. Please help us to be like Peter when he had his eyes on you in the storm and, um, and help us to rise above the waves that beset us, not when he looked around at the tempest, Lord, and uh, lost his sight of you. Forgive us, Lord, for clinging to our remnants of our life independent of you, but make us wholly yours, I pray. And if there's anyone, Lord, who's listened this morning, who's like the Syrians and they're not a child of you, I pray, Father, that by faith they do accept the work of Christ and what he's done for them, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for all that you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.